Ladies and gentlemen, one of our greatest poets. <clears throat> Name, Sassoon Siegfried. Rank, second lieutenant. Disease, I've had some sort of breakdown. Your lot is with the ghosts of soldiers dead, and I am in the field where men must fight. Your duty lies in obeying orders. In the face of such slaughter, one cannot simply order one's conscience. Good morning, Doctor. We have a house magazine. I'm sure it would welcome a contribution. Then I'll try to write something light and amusing. There's no need to go that far. Who is this extremely beautiful young man? Sassoon, Siegfried. Sounds Wagnerian. I'm anxious to meet our distinguished guest. All the fine young cannibals. What should I do about my hair? Have you considered topiary? It's one of the inconveniences of the shadow life we lead. Friends may come. Friends may go. Enemies are always faithful. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Sharon Smith, and this is Poetry Podcast Presents Real Poetry. I am here once again with my two popcorn snatchers, Marvin and Auntie Vice. Say what up. Ooh, what up? <laughs> and we're here to, I know it's been a while, but we're here to show, to talk about the movie Benediction. It is, uh, it says it's 2021, but it came out in 2022. That's what they really that's released it in the US. So they released it in in which it's funny because they released it in the UK in May and then they released it in the US in June of 2022. So I don't know why they keep calling it 2021, but this is a bio this is a biographical drama film written by um Terrence Davies. Uh it all it stars Jack Lund- Loden. Um, Peter Capaldi, Capaldi, as the world, um, the war poet Siegfried Sassoon. It also has Samuel Russell, um, Jeremy um, Irvine, basically a lot of a slew of British performers. I'm just gonna say like that. This movie here uh, is two hours freaking long. And- <laughs> and it basically goes through the fact it basically goes through some Sassoon's um life as being a youth when basically starts his life off being as a, a second lieutenant in the Brit in the British military and going on from there to him being an older man before uh, not that di- not dead yet, but going to being an older man from marriage, relationships, psych ward, and also uh Depression, a lot of depression. As always, let's get some let's get some um, initial thoughts, Marvin. You know what? Kind of like you said, it was two hours long, but I thought it was enjoyable. I actually really enjoyed this film. There was this inner turmoil with him that I could relate to. I could relate to every moment of his struggle to find acceptance to find love to find companionship in a world that he was born 
too early in. You see that. And every point of the part of it with how his views on war was with the first how the first world war took place his abject objectification on how world powers could not agree but it cost the lives of millions upon millions of british and not or not just british but other individuals around the world who really have no say in that particular part of politics he found senseless i have, i agreed wholeheartedly with every part of this movie so i really wound up enjoying this because it was very easily to relate to an individual wanting to find some place in the world that he kind of he could belong in with these ideals that weren't really part of the road most traveled essentially um i liked it a lot and what about your device i liked <laughs> parts of this movie um i thought once i got past all of that over focus on setting the the scene and establishing the air and stuff like the 40 minutes of old newsreel really could have been cut out like they needed a much better editor because all you had to say was it was 1914 in britain and it's like okay world war one we're there like <laughs> you don't need this excessive amount of really crappy news and trying to draw out these really painful metaphors with the cattle being herded to slaughter and the men going off to war. And I thought that was really heavy handed and obnoxious. Um, so there, I would have gotten a different editor. The actual content of the story I thought was interesting. They had some really funny lines in there. I still think my favorite is they're talking about one poet and they said she's such an autocrat that they were amazed her gums were allowed to receive without her permission. <laughs> I thought stuff like that was hilarious. I personally um, liked it when Wilfred storms into this room. He's like, you got published in the Hydra. And his most sarcastic line was, hooray for nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was amazing. Um, and and that I really liked. Uh, I thought some of the the original camera work was beautiful. Um, I had a really hard time following it because this is a case of every white man looked alike. This was a bunch <laughs> of white nineteen fourteen twinks, and like they needed fucking nameplates or something so I could follow. Or do like a reservoir, Mr. Pink, Mr. Green. Like, because you all fucking looked alike. I had the worst time telling these guys apart. She was going, where's Waldo? <laughs> I mistook his uh, love interest in Ivor with the other one that had... Oh, Glenn? Glenn. Yeah, Glenn. And yeah. my, again, back to our running theory. Why must every artist have TV back in that era? <laughs> we've, we've gone into discussion about this a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, and yes, I know it's common. I know it's easily transmittable, but it's it's kind of like movies for so long where every gay story had to end in tragedy because that's how Hollywood dictated it. Mm -hmm. It's like every poetry movie before 1950, somebody's got to have fucking TB. Um, I mean, aren't you aren't you good? It wasn't the the actual um, procrastinator. I mean, uh, the. Um, the for the main cast, the paganist, yeah. I mean, technically, well, technically, he was also a procrastinator. <laughs> There's a lot of times. Oh, 
when he starts coughing, I just looked at Sharon and said, great. We got another 40 minutes before he fucking dies. Cause that's about what <laughs> and he, left and, the movie. It's like, and you know what? He didn't die. He actually got old and made it to the, <laughs> you know, what the best part is we could have literally made a bingo game out of like everything <laughs> we've seen. And TB would have been right in the center character, <laughs> yeah. main character or someone they know has TB. And that would have been like the freebie center that they give you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Overextended animal metaphor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. The lonely artist, the starving artist. Yeah. Psych ward. Unrequited <laughs> love. <laughs> writing about tragedy. Mm-hmm. Being poor. <laughs> well, this one was, they're poor. actually wealthy. The they're naive actually. early 20s because apparently love. Was gonna con- was all that they needed. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel that this one, since we've seen the laureate, and this one kind of in the same, they were actually in the same Wilhelm, both at the same time. It was funny I didn't that they didn't like bring in Robert Graves or anything like they did in the laureate, where they brought they brought Sassoon's character talking to Robert, where it wasn't vice versa. A lot of it was just talking to a lot of. A lot of the men that um, Sassoon was messing with, or even, or even some of the um, the people that he was, you know, he got affiliated with. He wasn't really de- he wasn't really dealing with too many um, poets, except for William, um, except for Wilford, and I think also Philip. A lot of them, a lot of people that I thought that were supposed to be poets, like Ivor. They, you know, they basically point out that yeah, Ivor, your your poetry is not that real good. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> so I, that's why I mean, I like we put- do to, to our friends. <laughs> yeah, that poet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're obviously <laughs> those people. We're we're we are the most judgmental people ever. <laughs> um, because we do the exact same thing. We we constantly we judge and critique each other's work to so heavy handed that th- if you were to splice that movie into our real life, we are just only what 80, 90 years removed. Wow. I do speak the name of the love that cannot speak its name. I now scream it and like mm-hmm. fucking everything I do. But you know what I really like though? They did actually, or not like, but I thought was really cool and interesting. That was a fun tidbit. They included T.E. Lawrence in this movie too. Because not mm-hmm. while he didn't have like a really heavy part of the plot, but he made his own little appearance. And that kind of like helps us tie in just how much of an influence, or not influence, but no, yes, influence, and how closely related in that time frame he and Lawrence were. Lawrence was a very mm-hmm. big pivotal moment in not just the war, but world history as a whole. And obviously, Sassoon had a very big, big influence on what anti-war propaganda looked like in the UK. And to have two men mm-hmm. such as them meet, and then in their same sexual demographic where both men were very openly homosexual is very interesting and a really cool little detail in the movie. I think they did a great job about bringing in the poetry throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. They, they incorporated quite a bit of poetry compared to a lot of the stuff that we've written and it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel wedged in. It was additive in this one. And I liked that. It, yeah, it, it really helped create a sum of its whole. It also helps spell out just the state of the PTSD Sassoon was going through, his post-war survivor's guilt syndrome he was going through, especially when they were talking about how Wilfred was released from care 
and he went back to war and he died literally a week before it all the over. war ended. Yeah. Before Germany surrendered. Yeah. What was interesting to me was finding out that Philip was actually a, the, the old gentleman that he, he was with when he met I, Ivor. As actually was Prince, his name was Prince Philip. He was actually a German prince that uh, that he um mm-hmm. that they associated with and it's just i'm just i was more surprised the fact that you know even with all the war batter and everything being against germany and nazis and stuff and fascism that they still had a kind of a there still are people that were actually still we're we're, we're friends even though our countries yeah. battled each other we're still friends and stuff and like we could still oh, hang out at, at that point the British monarchs and the German monarchs were related as cousins, so it's not like that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. They were they were really mixing the bowl there. Um, <laughs> this this movie. So a lot of times, this movie it had moments of like mo- monetized moments where they are this uh, a war montage where they'll show a whole footage of a war scene and then there'll be a pullover or even a song. And I, and we're, I was looking around thinking that if they cut some of these montages out and stuff, or even those times where it just droned, like just like the last pitch, like the last scene where it just droned into his face while he's crying, they could have, they probably could have shaved off about half an hour or even close to 45 minutes. Because a lot of that stuff was just unnecessary, was not as necessary as it needed to be along with it. Uh, I did like the banter. Uh, I ain't go- I'm not going to lie. A lot of the banter did go over my head. I actually had to look at the device to say what the heck they're talking about because I was confused. Some stuff was just, she would laugh and I'd be looking like, okay, what did they say? Because I did not see that one coming. And she had to explain to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Because they are very, very, very quick on their feet. Well, they're very quick on on retaliate, you know, going back and forth at each other very quickly. On the, 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 the back and forth between Sassoon yeah. or Siegfried and Eivor were by far some of the most scathing, <laughs> like biting back and forth insults between two like exes I have ever seen. Like I know, again, it's just in a movie, but. Damn, if this was ever in real life and I heard two people like in public in passing just say that to each other in a fucking restaurant. Oh man, this meal is looking it's a lot more interesting than I like, oh man, this chef did so well on this steak. Like it's it's completely well done. Like I wanted. Give me <laughs> but no, it's just to me it basically the banter itself was funny as ever and also pretty um pretty quick on the information back and forth. I, I, as much as Ivor was uh, a main antagonist to Sassoon, uh, Glenn became one too, even though Glenn and Glenn was previously Ivor's um, um, love make a uh, love um, person. And then Sassoon. Uh, yeah. meant to him. And just seeing the whole, the whole situation with the key thing, the key being dry. <laughs> Someone comes in, unlocks the door. He's like, just leave the key right there. And he's, <laughs> and he's messing with some um, Siegfried. And then when Siegfried, and then when Siegfried's getting ready to leave, he's like, well, there's your key. You're good. <laughs> it's like, you could, you could see the, you can already see in the, the writing of the wall that it's going to call, it's going to be a callback. And sure enough, it did. And I was like, <laughs> and he got mad. And I was thinking in my head, it's like, Hmm, 
you saw this coming, but you still went along with it. Some things never change. No. Like, you could update this to modern times and just, instead of meeting at a sanitarium, they'd meet on Grindr. Like, (laughs) It, it was a it was a funny it was, it was a funny thought, but let's talk about um, as you pointed out before his wife, um, uh, G- um, Getty. Uh, what's her first name? I forgot her first name. Uh, let's see. You mean Grace Silk? <laughs> yes, Grace Silk. She she's definitely a, a troubadour that people look at very instantly. Uh, Hester. Hester Hester yes. Gatti, she was the Duchess. She was um, the Duchess's um, daughter. So, and even his thing with her, it was um, it was really interesting. How you, how she he pointed out her dress, and didn't still get the hint that he was not interested. <laughs> I think, I think for an era, like I said, clearly he was born in an era. That was too early for someone like him okay. who could willfully speak quote unquote anti government sentiment with being so openly opposed to the war for being a man who was gay. With how little they talked about it during that era, I think it was very fair that Hester, even though she is his baby mama, would not understand. Like, there was no way for her to understand. Mm-hmm. And the fun and f- so it's just so funny for her to be able to go, I guess, support you and your prior relationships. Like, man. I mean, just, just the fact that she knew she knew she, that the, I, I, this whole thing I've seen that they all knew what they're walking into, but yet they still proceeded on and then get mad at the fact that it happened. It's like, they feel like they, they're going to change something. And really honestly, it's like, no, it's going to happen the same way it happened to the last person. You just didn't think about it. For, you just didn't think that, that was going to happen to you. It's like, oh, that's okay. true about so many relationships today. I mean, people think, oh, but it won't happen to me. I'll be the one that's different. I'll be the one to change them, you know, and uh, you don't. No. People, people don't change that much. No, not at this point, this age in life with how much of Siegfried's core values are already in place in him. There was no way, unless there was like a real extreme profound action that changed him. Like it had to be completely shake him at his core. And there was no way poor Hester could do that. (laughs) How do you feel about the whole, the the back and forth of him being old and him being um, young? At least I could tell the old guys apart. Yeah. Well, you know, I also kind of like it with when they were reaching near their age, you could tell who was still more holding on to really strict old school conservative conservative ideals and the other who fully embraced everything that he was by that mm-hmm. era. Yeah, I can say that. Yeah, because like, I think... To Again, say, I think that's... Go ahead. No, 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 because like, I think Siegfried didn't die until... like. Early nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies. Yeah, he didn't yeah. die until nineteen sixty-seven. Yeah, by then, like it was the granted, not exactly the most forgiving or accepting place, but sixties and seventies were a lot more open about this type of shit. Mm-hmm. 
but I mean, just but just like how um, uh, Robert Graves he suffered from shell shock. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They sick. Well, in this movie, Siegfried was basically dealing with people, other people dealing with their their um, shell shock or their madness. I mean, he was in he was in the psych ward, and someone basically died screaming. Yeah, in the psych ward and stuff. So, like he to, talked about, like how that was all he could hear. Right. So it was. It's a. It's amazing on the fact of how his he was. It was he was grieving in this movie, but he was also just processing and trying to figure out what's not only once a romantic relationship, but also trying to trying to be real adamant about the whole war and what, what did it cost him? I mean, it technically he took out, he based when he told his superiors that he, he looked at the war as a joke and I don't want to go back because what am I, what am I sending soldiers in for? And they didn't get it. It, it almost insulted him more often. It's like, what do you mean you don't get it? <laughs> and even that little talk back and forth, it just it just made him more and more upset. And like, I think he had one one say, he said, "Sir, the way you were talking, you're like a politician. It's like you should go into be a politician." It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> the one thing I can certainly find admirable about the whole situation too was like in the beginning of the movie, we we are introduced to a very firm concept of him was i forget who sent him to the or who essentially snitched him out sent him to the hospital for care but he immediately had a very very visceral reaction to it was like that was not your decision to do if i was put to death then at least i could be put to death my own way my on my own standing in grounds well yeah he saw himself getting he's getting ready to get court-martialed mm-hmm. and he, he was already he was fully ready to accept it because he knew that they're gonna have to read what he wrote in front of everybody and it's going to be well not just televised or uh, radio mm-hmm. live there but he knew that it had to be it was going to be read but unfortunately i think it was uh either a family member or somebody in the executive uh, basically just they they wanted they wanted him just to go as just say you're not fit for you're not fit for duty. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they switched his whole. They I think it was someone the yeah some another officer switched him out to not not to be looked at being court martial. Just say you're not fit for duty, and use that as his um put this way to get him into the psych ward. And yes, he was. I think and and it's I think he kept that same feeling through the whole movie. I mean, it was just like he had he had a grudge. Oh, well, he was a very bitter man at the oh, yeah. end, mm-hmm. by the end of the movie. I mean, but like I said, by its pure introduction within like the first maybe five, ten minutes, you got a very good, strong idea of who he was and the, as a man who was willing to die for his own convictions. Right. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, how do you how do you feel about um, Wilford's um, disabled poem or handicap poem? That they read at the end. I mean, it's real ableist. Okay. Um, I mean, and I think as an able-bodied person observing that, that's how you would interpret it. Um, but you know, the idea that no one wants to touch this disabled body and you're somehow lesser and all that, like, 
ain't real tired of that. But I mean, it's also how most able-bodied people think about disabled folk. And the idea for a lot of people of losing a limb or two limbs at that um, right. is vastly upsetting. Because mm -hmm. you're so used to one thing and now you can't do what you used to be used to. So, I mean, it's the same thing. It's like the same thing with a person who broke their right hand and they're right-handed, and now they got to use a, a hand they've never been they never been taught or even thought about using before. Their left hand. They, there's not something that they are accustomed to or they curse with. It's not the perspective of the guy who's disabled. It's the perspective of an able-bodied soldier looking at him uh, and interpreting it. Yeah, and mm -hmm. um, turning him into this object, which I found a bit bothersome. Yeah, what? absolutely agree with that. Okay. Um, with some of the stuff that um was going on with the movie, I found out that um Terrence Davies, uh, was also the director of movie we reviewed, The Quiet Passion, the um Emily Dickinson movie. Hmm. We did, we yeah, we did that one. He was he was a director of that one too and writer of that one. So we we reviewed this is our second one of his movies That's that we did. Yeah, <laughs> this is the second movie that we did of his. So it's, it's interesting how that movie, how that movie had a. If I remember, if I remember correctly, a lot of that movie had a lot of um, uh, vague situations where a lot of long montages and little shadowy moments and stuff, and and that we even. We um we 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 point out a lot about that being that it took a lot of um it 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 basically instead the movie on times where we were like why don't she just die? <laughs> this director really needs to get used to working with a good editor. Like that's the downfall. He'd have great movies if he'd let an editor actually do their job. Um, as it stands, mm -hmm. you know, with him wanting to do these extended bits on you know establishing scene or establishing time and stuff it drags down his movies and i'd love to see a really good editor get a hold of these because i think they could be vastly improved with um certain cuts and edits made throughout the film and taking them down by about 45 minutes each they would be much better films but yeah he just He's too heavy-handed with some of the stuff he tries to do, and it it undercuts the quality of the film. Mm. You feel the same way, um, Marvin? Yeah, no, I completely agree. There's just moments where he certainly dips into the well a little too much, but frankly, I don't think it is as bad as Mulan 2020. Dipping on the fucking bad cultural references. Mulan's on the board tonight, folks. Oh yeah, absolutely, still on the board. Fuck you, Disney. Fuck you. Touche, <laughs> touche. Um, the older, um, the older, um, some Sassoon, Peter Capaldi, Capaldi. He's actually played um, um, Doctor Who in two thousand in two thousand thirteen to two thousand fifteen. He was Doctor. Why can I see that? Yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I'm never a Doctor Who fan, but I absolutely like that makes sense. Like he definitely does have that air of 
Doctor Who this doom is the best right. person to say. So it, so a lot there's a lot of people that were just I mean if you if you're I did look at the the um ratings for the rotten tomato oh the rate for rotten tomato we'll we'll well, I'll say those, and after after we do our little rating ourselves, before I give that up, um, is there anything anything else about this movie that you would like to discuss about? Um, anything that will that hit your head that you're like, this is ridiculous. Oh, his whole point of him having his son and him getting pissed off at him, or it was interesting how his him and his son's um relationship was always off-putting he's like he he loved them but didn't hate him at the same time so just... honestly that was something i could have done without that was i failed to see the point in those tiny tidbits other than it adding on to his immense di- unhappiness overall mm-hmm. with his life i mean because look i mean looking at it he was able to travel to a lot of places do his poetry have lovers um, get, get, even get married and have a child, and still in the in the whole thing, feel like he got nothing. Mm-hmm. That is such an inter- that's such a interesting way of looking at perce- perceiving your life as I haven't done anything. And even at the close to the end, he was telling his son like, uh, it's almost like I wish I die because I don't belong here anymore. It's just it's it's, it's unacceptable. So yeah. But as everything segue, we're going to go into our uh, snap judgment. We're snap judgment where we talk, we basically review, rate the movie that we reviewed and try to make and try to give you a little bit of a portion for you to check out. If this movie gets three snaps, it's excellent. It is war riveting. It is so much that even the critics gave it applause. If it's two snaps, it's not that bad, but it really is not that good. If it's one snap, it should go to Ivo, the way that Glenn got TB and was coughing all over the freaking place. Drop the keys, next man pick it up. We doing quarter, we doing quarter, quarter snap ratings. We're all right, all right. We're gonna do this. Close your eyes. We're gonna count the three. And throw out our rating. One. Dos. Three. <laughs> really? <laughs> For once, I'm the highest. Mormons are hot. Uh, yeah. Dude, one we've been really off sync. One and a half, one and a half, and two. Wow. Now I have to see because Marvin is the first. Marvin, why did you give this movie a two? Um, I think I particularly enjoyed this movie for, like I said, Siegfried's character to me was very compelling. Okay. I can admire his sense of conviction, even though when he stands on the least walked road, he is okay with being essentially alone in that fact. And I find that to be completely admirable in the sense of who here in this podcast, in the scene that we're in, where we talk about all these little specific things that are not readily discussed at all, or is met with complete indifference, because they will will very likely tell us, well, that's just not the case. I can completely relate to that. 
So I think because of such a compelling character, of such a relatable figure that while yes, White and his work of that era are very much dated, I can at least relate and enjoy that it for that alone. Hmm. Hot device. Why'd you give it a one and a half? Because there's a two and a half movie in here. If he gave it to a good editor and took his hands off of it for a minute. And the fact that he's done more than one film where he has sabotaged his own work by not working with a solid editor. Um, you like one of his movies. That, that like, <laughs> but there'd be so much better if there was editing. It's my, my problem with so much of poetry. Like there's good stuff there. You just have to work, like fix it. Like it's so close, but you got to cut out all the extra and like tighten it up. Um, but I, is it more know, the fact on, that on some nights, I was gonna say, is it more the fact of the editor? Is it more the fact of the editor, or is it more the fact that he has the hand on the editor and he tell him, "No, no, keep that, take that, keep you that." Get somebody who who will say, <laughs> "No, we've got to cut this shit out," and uh, you know, I think on a time when I hadn't been reading so much crappy shit lately, and thinking, "God damn it, people need an editor," I may give it a two, but tonight I'm so deeply annoyed with people who won't edit their own work and in the poetry community this is epidemic yeah that's true <laughs> that's very shit. true that's very true actually <laughs> i can it's funny how you point that out i give it 1.5 because a lot of the stuff that was just like auntie vice said it needed it needs some editing but a lot of the stuff that it seems like he was trying to make sure you got every little tidbit of information that was necessary that he thought was necessary to talk about this one character. Some of that stuff, I really, you know, I was like, okay, we how many lovers he had? I mean, the, do we have to show him again? Okay, what didn't we already get rid of that one? Could you like just to, can you get some white boys that don't look identical, please? Thank you. <laughs> that 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 can't be done. <laughs> I think I saw one black guy the whole dang movie. Now it's because he was playing the big band. <laughs> he was playing the horn. <laughs> I was thinking, why? I just a lot of this stuff was just—it's uh, not off-putting. It's just a little bit drab. And the fact that, it, and, and also maybe because it, a lot of the critics gave praises to this movie, and I'm looking at them going, "What are you thinking about when you see this?" Is there some movie that's in your head that has to go in that same genre? Is he is he is he hitting all the dots that you enjoy? Is it a is it a streetcar named Desire or something that you just like? He's hitting all the points. He's hitting all the points, and you're just like, what? What? This is 2022 or 2021? They probably saw it. Why are y'all still giving them the the prop? And I also heard some of the indecencies of. The people saying, well, a little bit of the homosexuality was being shown. I really didn't care for that. I'm like, it didn't show a lot. It get gazes. I mean, the only mm -hmm. time he had was a one was one time where he was on somebody. They didn't even insert. They just basically kissing on top of each other. I'm like, or when him on. and Wilfred did the tango. Yeah. And that apparently that was the one that was like, oh, too much. <laughs> it's just a tango. It's like good grief. <laughs> oh, yeah. They just this the the fact that it's still a thing that they have to be, you know, refrained. Oh, I'm like, well, that's interesting. So, yeah, altogether, 
I really didn't. I, I thought some of the parts that were necessary. Yes, the poetry was good. The um, storytelling was interesting. They could have just kept it. They should have just kept it in the in the when he was young, and then like let him wander off from there. But I understand they wanted to, they wanted to put in the son and try to show him as an older person and see that he still lived. Because I think we would have called him out. He must have died in TV. <laughs> so i get where they're going with that ending but whatever okay people 1.5 1.52 that is a five out of nine from us if you think the movie was worth the dang (laughs) put in the comments was it worth saving from war Because we know that Mulan wasn't worth enough to get this for this oh, thing. Mulan. No, absolutely not. Mulan can go get beaten by the Mongolians or something like that. I don't give a shit. Fuck mm. Mulan. He's bomb Dresden, you know? Mm-hmm. But just to let y'all know, Rotten Tomato gave this a 94%. Really? Yes. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. The bigger tragedy is Mulan also got a very good high rating, too. Yes, Rotten Tomatoes got a 94% for this one. And if you're a Google user, they gave it a 68%. So it was then even IMDB gave 6.7 out of 10. The box office itself got $860,000 and $963.63. So basically, um, $860,000 was made off the box office with this movie, but when it came out. So didn't do that good, but you know it was during it was the beginning of the of this and, the uh, era of this panorama so, the panini yeah. <laughs> the panini. <laughs> so, but once again, thank you for watching. Thank you for hearing our pot the podcast of I am big poetry. I know it's been a while, but I got business, and there will be new shows. In September, and we were bringing out some more new stuff. So keep watch. I know I'm not. It's been a while, but bear with me. I'm back. We're back. More movies, more poetry, new stuff. Go figure. Next movie we're doing. I'm right now in the process of thinking of doing Boy and Poet, a Korean film. But I'll see how my I'll see how my two co-hosts feel about watching a subtitle movie because that is a pain in the butt. Wait, so you're telling me there's an <laughs> actual ma- wait, wait, huh? wait, so there's an actual Asian movie where they don't make people who speak an actual language speak English? Yes. Oh, I'm looking at you, Mulan 2020. Way to go! <laughs> wow, that that that, that I'm that's still a, fucking salty about that. That's a that's an uppercut in the half. Check, uh, what's our let's basically give our social media out. Marvin start with you <laughs> yeah you can find my Mulan 2020 hating ass at starvinmarvin09 <laughs> at Instagram Auntie Vice <laughs> no yeah you, you, you didn't put on starvinmarvin09 oh starvinmarvin09 <laughs> on Instagram I'm too busy hating on it Mulan 2020 <laughs> Auntie Vice <laughs> I'm Auntie Vice on most social media and check out my new line of merch at auntievice.com backslash shop. And yes, I on um, I am big. I also have merch, but I know no one buys it. So let's go figure about that one. I have a lot of merch. 
Y'all should get some. Um, Iambic, I-A-M-B-I-C-Z-I-N-E. Check out once again, we will be doing more shows. I got some new guests coming on and some more stuff. But if you want to basically be on the, sh- on the show, hit me up at iambiczine at gmail.com or even go to reswonderland.com and get on and we'll see you at the movies. Peace. <laughs>